Well, let's go in the Word this morning. I want you to go with me back to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. I was there a few weeks ago for several weeks. I never really intend uh, to make this a series, but God won't release me out of it, and I've got to go back there today, and I'm going to be speaking to you about the place or the time when I don't understand. Does any of you besides me get in a place that you just, when I say a place, I'm not necessarily talking about a piece of ground, but maybe it's just a moment of time in your life that absolutely nothing make sense and you can't figure out why you're there. Does anybody but me ever get there? Well, I think if we're honest, probably all of us will get there from time to time. But look at this passage in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase so that your barns are filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, I'm going to talk to you this morning about being in that place that we don't understand. And usually this place is a place I really don't like. I don't know about you. If I'm in that spot, it really has such a, I don't like where I'm at. That's a number one probably issue there, whether I understand, see things or not. I just don't like being there. I'm one of those guys. I like activity. I like things moving. I, I like things rocking to a great sense. And whenever thing gets still and quiet, I get nervous. Hello. And I told you, if you've been with me the last couple of weeks, I, I was in Dallas here recently. We were there for a meeting, and one of the first things they did with all of us pastors in there was said, you guys need to learn to get still and get quiet. So they said, we're going to practice. So they said, we're going to set a timer for two minutes. That doesn't seem very long, right? Well, I think I'm 10 seconds in, feel like I've been there an hour. Because silence isn't my thing. It's not my bag of tea to really be that still. Matter of fact, in a little bit, uh, this afternoon, me and my wife are going to get away for a few days because I felt back at the first of, of May that God said, I want you to get away and rest. I don't usually do it with when I'm here. I'm involved in something or going somewhere. So we're going to get away and we're going to rest a little bit. And I thought as soon as I heard that word, I was listening to several different preachers. And you know what they were preaching on? About resting. And one of them said something like this. Either you'll be obedient to God or God will put you in a place you have no choice but to rest. So I decided I'd be obedient. And I'm going to try my best to do my part. Uh, but again, it's, it's a place that I, I really don't like. Matter of fact, it's a place that is uncomfortable. How many can relate to that? Maybe some of you are in that place and what God is doing right now in all the land and all the earth, it makes us uncomfortable. It, it's a place that we ask, what did I do? 
Did I fail? Have I sinned? Have I blown it somewhere? What in the world did that? Why am I in this place? Here's another part about the place where I'm at when I don't understand. There's usually a lot of questions, and it's the question why. Why, Lord? Why are we here? What are you doing? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? I've come to find out that when you're in a place like this, it can be a place that's both positive and negative. You can be in that place where you don't understand, not by your own volition, but by the volition of others. Decisions they make all of a sudden. Let's just use it like this. You've been working in a company for a long time, and all of a sudden they decide they're going to shut down. And they don't give you a month. They don't give you six weeks or six months. They said it's closed today. We've seen that happen over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, you get there and say, what's going on? We, we've gone into restaurants right now, and there's not enough help. And it, it makes me wonder what is happening here. I, I don't like being in this place because I like, you know, service to come quick. It could also be by our own choices. Anybody ever make a bad choice in this place? We all have. We all do. I told somebody the other day, I'm not going to live my life looking over my shoulder, beating myself up for decisions that I thought were right but turned out something different. You can't do that either. But it's there. But here's another note on on this. You could be there simply by the hand of God and what God is doing at this moment of time. I'm going to use one of Miss Denise's stories and illustrations that she used the other night through the life of, of Elijah. In the book of First Sam or First Kings, chapter 17, everybody knows who Elijah is. He's the you know the prophet that come, rebuilt the altar, called fire down up out of heaven. Man slew 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Man, this guy was a powerful dude, but it didn't start out that way. The first thing that we know about Elisha, he comes seemingly out of nowhere. It just says, Elisha the Tishbite said, it isn't going to rain no more for three years. It's not going to rain. God's going to shut off the heavens. So the next thing that begins to happen, the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, let's go back there. I think she's got it on the screen. There it is. Here's verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, go to the next verse. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Very important that you see. I want you to back up to that verse again, would would you? He said, get away from here and turn eastward, and I want you to hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Notice something about the brook. The Jordan doesn't feed it, but the brook comes out of the land and flows into the Jordan. So now he's in a place. Go to the next verse. We might as well finish it here. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. Listen to this. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Go ahead to the next verse. And he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Next verse. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook for how long? 
until the brook went dry. Now he's here by the hand of God. Here's a prophet that's already said it's not going to rain. Everybody ought to be paying attention to him. But now he finds himself in a place by the hand of God. I mean, after all, it must have been a nice brook. The water must have been good and clear. Uh, But there was something about the brook that he had to wait there. We don't know exactly how many days, or at least I don't think, if I do, I forgot, how many days he was at that brook. But the drought and the famine at the moment, or when the rain was cut off, it took a few days for that brook to run dry. And he stayed there. And the most unusual thing took place. It's one thing to drink from a brook. But it's another thing to have this scavenger of a bird come and bring you roadkill. Now think about that for a moment. He's there by the hand of God. In a place that he's probably questioning. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Uh, What's supposed to happen? God said, this is where I want you to be. And I want you to be in this place because the unusualness of it is the fact that the brook is flowing from the land and that the raven is bringing him meat every morning. We don't know where the raven got it. We don't know how he picked it up, but God was sustaining the prophet in the most unusual way. I, I, you know, I love being outdoors and I love barbecues, but I would hope that it's not roadkill. I would hope it would be a little bit better dinner than that, but God was doing something unique. Matter of fact, you'll find in the book of Luke, I believe it is, chapter 12, maybe around the 24th verse. You don't have to put it up because I'm not certain if that's the verse. I know it's in that chapter that God says, Consider the ravens. Jesus speaking. He said, consider the ravens. He said, they don't toil, they don't sow, they don't labor, and yet I feed them and I take care of them. The most unusual animal of God that he would would want to talk to us about. It's interesting because the word cherith there means to separate. So God has Elijah in a place That he may not understand, but this is what God is doing. He's separating him from drinking from the places he's been drinking. Now keep that in mind because he doesn't leave until that's dried up. He didn't say when the raven quit bringing meat. He said when the brook dries up from what you've been drinking from because you've been drinking from the water that's falling upon the land instead of the water that's coming up out of the Jordan. Now, I don't know if the Jordan was that good enough to drink out of, but it seems to me that everything would be flowing from streams or whatever. But this stream made glad, as the word says in the book of Psalms, that the streams make glad the city of God. So here's Elijah in a place that he's being separated from God. Sometimes you don't understand what's going on, but God's doing an incredible work in our life. And then he leaves him from there, and this is what he says after the brook dries up. He said, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Zarephath. For there I have commanded a widow to sustain you. 
Wait a minute, now he's got to go on a journey. And he's got to go to another place. And again, the most unusual, most unlikely person to take care of him. Uh, Why didn't he say, go, I'll see that you're taken care of there. He said, no, there's a widow that's going to sustain you. And when he gets to Zarephath, he finds the little widow, and this is what she's doing. She's got her meal barrel with her last little bit of meal, and she's got a little water, and she's got a few sticks, and the prophet shows up and said, the Lord told me that you were to take care of me but she's not acting like it wait a minute did not the word say I have commanded the widow to sustain you then she knew he was coming right but when she gets there or he gets there she's not acting like that any of you ever been in that position God told me to come God told me to be here. God told me to do this. And then when I get there, nothing is like I thought it would be. I'm talking about when you're in the place that you don't understand. And so he said, yeah. Uh, She said, well, I've got this little bit of meal. I've got this few sticks. I've got my son. I'm going to make him a few cakes, and we're going to end life. Matter of fact, she's talking about everything being over. Man, isn't that crazy? God sends some of us into a place. I thought I was supposed to go into a place that's alive, a place that's well, a place that's full of energy, and then all of a sudden I get to a place and all they're wanting to talk about is we're going to die. But then he speaks to her and he says, if you'll give me first a little bit of that meal, make me a little cake first. He said, then you and your son go live. And she was obedient to respond to the voice of the prophet. And when she did, God worked a supernatural miracle, not only for him, but also for her, that from that moment, her meal barrel never went dry. It stayed full, even in the midst when when evidently times were very difficult. Here's what the word Zarephath means. It means a place of refining. Sometimes God puts you in a place and you think you're there for that, but the reality of it, he's working on you in that place of refining. He's refining things in your life. But I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. But sometimes God's got a purpose of getting us there and he's got a reason for us being in that place. Because see, most of us think we have it all together. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. I got knowledge. I got this. I got Holy Spirit. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything. And God said, you got, you got need of more than you, are, you realize. Because this even wasn't about him at the moment. But this was about a generation. Because in a few days or a period of time, the son is going to die. Or get very ill. And the, and the widow comes and she speaks to the prophet that she saw the meal barrel. She saw her meal barrel change. And the prophet comes in and he lays upon the young boy. Am I telling the story right? And he breathes into him and the young man lives. I'm here to declare that sometimes when we're going through a rough time, it's not even about the moment. But it's about preparing us for a 
generation that is dying. And if you and I don't know how to deal with it, they'll die. So we're in a spot. I got invited the other day. It's been a long time. I got invited to speak at TCT the other day. They called me and said, we want to do a Zoom with you. It's been a long time since we've had you on and we want you to speak. So when they emailed me to ask me, you know, if I would do it, I asked them back. I said, well, what do they want me to talk about? Or what is the program about? And this is what they gave me. They said, well, he's a preacher. He can, he can do it. He'll talk about anything. It won't, it won't take him, you, you know, much to do that. And I thought, okay, that's cool. But immediately God spoke to me. And I believe God gave me a prophetic word, and I believe I'm bringing you a prophetic word this morning about the moment and the times that we are in. And I believe God gave me a word to speak to them on TCT. And that would be going literally to the whole world, the program that I was on. But I really didn't get an opportunity to release the word. Because they, they guided me into some other things. And the reality is, but I believe the word because God won't release it out of my spirit. is for us today and I want you to pay attention. It's about the story of the first miracle that Jesus performed in the book of John chapter 2 at a wedding feast. How many remembers the story? It's the place of the first miracle that Jesus performed. I'm going to turn back there just so that I can read a few little blips of that because it's fascinating to me as, as the Lord revealed. The Bible says in John 2 verse 1 on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, Jesus has already started. He's called his disciples, or at least a few of them. And evidently, Jesus wasn't real excited about the wedding of going to the feast. Because the Bible starts out by saying his mom was there. And so no doubt he said, well, I better go, you know, sis, mom, hang out with mom at this wedding. Now, in those days, a wedding feast would last seven days. It wasn't like what we do today. It didn't last just an hour or two and a, a reception. It was a seven-day, you know, party uh, is what was happening. I want to remind you, what, what does the wedding, what was happening here in, in that wedding feast for seven days? Seven is the number of completion. Something was being completed and something new was getting ready to be added. It was a place of covenant. Covenant was being made between two different individuals and families coming together. Here's a third thing that was happening at a wedding feast. A new life and a future was being set in order and established because in that day, no doubt, when that young man and woman would come together, it wouldn't be long after that children would begin to be born because the reality was that they desired children. They desired to be fruitful. It was a sign of the blessing of God upon their life that they were bringing for children. They wasn't like in our day. Well, I don't know if I have one. I don't know. You know, somewhere down the future. No, they desired children. The future was being set. So Jesus comes to the wedding feast. Now I'm prophesying to you. He comes to the wedding feast and all of a sudden 
they run out of wine. It's depleted. That was the word the Lord gave me. The wine is depleted. And so everybody's wondering, what are we going to do? We don't know if we're in the third day, the fourth day, sixth day, whenever. But we just know we don't have any wine. And so they were all questioning, what are we going to do? And Mary, Jesus' mother, looks at him and says, hey, take care of this problem. And Jesus says something like this. What does your concern have to do with me? You're wanting this. Notice how he asks. What does your concern have to do with me? There's a lot of times there's things we're wanting that's really not on the heart of God at the moment. Because we might be ahead of him or we might be out of time or we might be in another place. But this is on my heart, it's on your heart, but it may not necessarily be in the heart of God. But then all of a sudden, he says, my hour has not come. So mama, being mama, takes things in her own hands. And she says to the servants of the house, uh, whatever he says to you, do it. As though mama says, I've already seen the future. I already know what's to come. And I'm going to help give birth to this thing. And she just looks at the servants. Listen to this. She looks at the servants and says, whatever he says, go do. So what did Jesus say do? He said, take those water pots over there. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification. This wasn't the water that you would go dip and you would drink. This was the water that they would go and wash their hands or pour water over the hands of the priest. They were simply clay water pots. Now, every message I've heard about wine was never talked about being in a pot. It was always preached like this. You don't put new wine into old skins. Everywhere I go, I've heard that message. You don't put new wine into an old skin because if you do, the old skin can't contain it unless that skin has been has been whatever they did with it, rubbed and and stretched and made to be elastic, I guess, to some point that would allow the fermenting of the grapes or the fruit on the inside to be able to swell a little bit without bursting the skin. But Jesus didn't ask for a skin. You don't put new wine into an old skin. And we're still looking for skins. Matter of fact, I got a picture that this was how, because these water pots were, they would handle about 25 gallons of water. I'm going to tell you, that's a lot of water and a lot of weight that you're not just picking up carrying around the house. When me and Charlie was in Haiti a few years ago, uh, they would bring us water in a five-gallon bucket on top of their head. Climbing up a mountain with it to bring us fresh water every morning to bathe in and to flush the toilet. 
five gallons, man, you pick up a five-gallon bucket of water, that's pretty tight. But to think about a, 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 a clay jar, a clay vessel with 25 gallons of water in it, there's no handles. It may be even almost impossible for one man alone to pick that thing up. You're not going to carry it around the house. I, I got this picture that this is what it was like. The wine was in wineskins and the servants was walking around with the skin pouring it out. But the Lord quickened to me. He said, I'm depleting the old wine. It's being depleted. And the new wine doesn't come until the old is completely depleted. Hello, you better hear what I'm telling you because I'm prophesying to you right now. We're looking for the old ways. We're looking to how God has been pouring out. In that skin, man, we like it. That juice, that wine has been so wonderful. And it's being depleted. And some of us are wondering, why is it revival breaking out? But why is revival here and revival there? But it's not here and it's not there. And I felt like, and I really believe the Lord was showing me, it's kind of like, you know, I'm taking it and I'm shaking it out. And I'm getting every drop of it out. And every once in a while, oh, there's a little bit more. And something will pour out over here. And man, all of a sudden it blows up. But for the most part, it didn't look like anything was happening. But now Jesus says to the servants, go fill those six pots. Six is the number of men. Clay just means flesh. I just need you to fill six pots with water. Water speaks of this. It speaks of cleansing and purification. I believe he's saying this. Just give me six people that will allow me to cleanse their life. And I will take them and I will change the world through their life. I will turn what is in them unto the power of the Spirit of God. And they will go and they will do miracles. Matter of fact, this is where the first miracle of Jesus took place and the miracles never stopped after that but wait a minute what about mama because she's not done intercessors in this room and praying people in this room we're praying for God to move I, I believe we need to be praying we need to be calling out she said whatever he tells you to do do it we need to be praying that the water pots that the people rise up that, that just unusual people, just as unusual as the raven, just as unusual as the brook. There, I believe this move of God isn't about the superstars, but there's people sitting in this room. You don't feel adequate. There's people sitting in this room. You've got such a desire to do something for God, but you keep looking at your past. You keep looking at your mistakes. You keep looking at failures. You keep looking at scars, but God God said, if you'll just let me pour some water on the inside of you, I'll use you in this hour, and I'll do something amazing through your life. But the wine isn't coming out of his skin. God said, I'm going to do something supernatural. That I'll, and then the guest of the house said, hey, wait a minute. 
Usually you bring out the good wine first, and when everybody starts feeling it, you bring out the cheap stuff. But you haven't. You've brought out the best wine. May I tell you that the moves of past, the moves of yesterday cannot compare to what is going to happen and I believe is happening this hour as things are being depleted. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you're asking why. God, what is going on? But get ready. He's just depleting the old wine. He's depleting the brook so that you and I will drink from a different fountain that you and I will flow with a different move of God that the earth has ever seen. I believe it with all my heart. The wine, which that word depleted means it's used up. It's got to be used up because we're still trying to grab the old. We're still trying to grab yesterday. Don't believe we are. Don't think you are. We don't think that, but we are. So why does God use a man like Elijah, takes him to a brook, and then takes him to a place of refining? Because I want to do something greater in you, Elijah, that's going to touch generations, that's going to touch the future. Listen, Jesus knows how to guide us through this moment. Oh, did I finish up with Mary? Let me finish up. I believe Mary speaks of the intercessors that we are calling. God, I call for the vessels to step up. Right now, we just need water pots. Right now, we just need somebody that just, hey, I'm willing. And the rest of it's up to God. So he says this. If you're in that spot this morning, he said, I want you to trust me. I want you, boy, that's a hard one to do, isn't it? Especially as long as we've been in this thing. If you've preached as long as I have, I'm telling you, it's hard. Pastor, I know it's hard for you. If you've done what we've done and all of us that have been in a move of God most of our life, it's hard for us to be in a place that we don't understand, we don't like it, we're asking why, and God is just simply saying, can you trust me? Boy, it's real easy when I've got money in the bank. It's real easy when everything is going the way I think it ought to go. But when it doesn't go that way and God's not giving me another directive, most of us think like this, well, God's not there, I'll go. And we've had people leave and shift, and I'm not trying to make an excuse, but that's what happens to Pentecostal, spirit-filled, holiness people because when we don't see what we want, I'm out. I'm going to go, but what you're looking for, you're still looking for the wine in the skin somewhere else. Oh, man. But he said, trust me with all your heart. He knows how to get us through. And lean not unto your own understanding. Don't support yourself. But I know I'm wise. I'm smart. I got a lot of word in me. I filled myself with a lot of knowledge from a lot of people. And God is saying something to us this morning. He said, I know how to get you there. He said, I want you to trust me with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge me. What did he say I'll do? I will direct your path. Well, I've been praying and he's not talking. Then shut up. Maybe it's not time to go. 
Maybe it's not time. I don't mean that crudely. Maybe you got a desire to move and God said, I don't need you to go anywhere. I need you to be still. And when I'm ready for you to go, I'll give you a direction. He said, in all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your path. He knows how to get you through that moment. Look at your neighbor and say, he knows how to get you through. Here's the second thing he says. Listen, here's here's second point. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Eight times this statement is found in the scripture. Do not be wise in your own eyes. In Hebrew, it's also said, or in Greek, it's said another way. Do not be wise in your own conceits. It's not an Old Testament principle alone. It's a New Testament principle because Paul talks about it. He said, don't be wise in your own conceits. In other words, get ready for this. You got to get your pride out of the way. Get your pride out of the way. Every one of us deals with it. My pride of what people think, my pride of what I feel, my pride of what I see. Every one of us deal with it. What is it, John? Is it, you know, over there in the book of John in the New Testament, he he talks like this. uh, 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 What does he call it? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And God's instruction is, if you don't get your pride out of the way, you're not going to make it. Then he says this, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. What does that mean to fear the Lord? I don't think God wants us to be afraid of him. I don't think God wants us to tremble every time that we move because through Jesus, he said, I can boldly come to the throne of grace. But what is he talking about? To fear the Lord. I believe he's saying, I want you to recognize me as God. I am the master ruler. I'm the creator of all things. By me does everything exist and consist. And I brought you into this world I can take you out. You, how many of you ever had a parent, a father, maybe say that, boy, you're either going to do what I say or else because I brought you into this world and I can take you out. He said, if you don't fear me, you're going to, because you're going to make yourself God. And you think you can see the end from the beginning? What you and I need to understand, you and I think that everything is out of control and God's looking on the backside watching the responses of everything that we do. And the reason we get so fearful and so afraid is because we really don't understand that God isn't giving up. God's not going to let this world and this nation go. I know what the Bible says. I know things are going to get difficult, and I know things are going to get tough, but I believe he's on the finish line. He said, guys, when I started you, I've already finished, and he's calling everybody, come this way. And in the meantime, all he's asking us to do is in every step, I'll guide you. My spirit will tell you how you need to respond. I just need you to trust me. Matter of fact, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
I believe it's the 13th verse. He said, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common with man. But in the middle, he said, but God is faithful, who with the temptation or the trial will make a way of escape. Those guys didn't know what I was going to preach this morning. God is faithful. Sometimes he delivers me out, and sometimes he walks me through. I really believe it. And if he doesn't deliver you out, you just need to hang on and don't forget he's with you. I'm there. Then he says this. He said, don't be wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Wait a minute. Depart from evil. I'm I'm not sinning. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Remember, there's a passage in the the Gospels that Jesus said something like this. Are you okay? Give me just a couple more moments. I'm telling you what the Lord is saying. He said, if you that are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? See, he was alluding to the fact that we are fallen man in a fallen world. But then he was also saying, you are earthy. So he says, depart from evil. You're going to make a decision. We're in it right now. Either we're going to respond to God or we're going to respond like the world. Well, I'm going to get my ball and I'm going to go home. I'm mad. Oh, y'all been there. That's, that's operating out of our flesh. That's operating not by the Spirit. Our values of this church is Jesus is the sender. And we are guided by the Holy Spirit. And as Denise taught us the other night, we are better together. And am I letting God guide me or am I letting my flesh dictate me? Well, I don't like that. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what God's doing right now. Well, that may be a moment that God is maybe separating something from you or he's trying to refine you so that your effectiveness for the future is greater than what you could ever imagine. So he said, depart from evil. It's determinate. Notice the principle. Notice the value here. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know what I really believe that he was saying, why do stay out of stress? Well, y'all quiet on that. Do you know stress is a number one creator of most of the issues that you and I are dealing with? Physically, emotionally, I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out. And if you're stressed out, I promise you, you're not healthy. If you're stressed out, if you're stressed out, you're not emotionally healthy. If you're stressed out, I promise you, your relationships aren't functioning properly. If you're stressed out, I promise you that your decisions aren't being operated or coming forth properly. 
I believe that's why we're saying, depart from evil. Get out of your flesh. Let me handle things and rest in me. Is it in the book of Matthew chapter 11? I believe it is. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden. What did he say I will do? I will give you what? Rest. Then he said this, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, and you shall find rest for your soul. Uh, He didn't necessarily say, I'm going to carry your responsibility. But he said, if you'll yoke up with me, I'll make your responsibility a whole lot easier. You'll find rest. Uh, I can tell y'all, y'all are doing really good this morning. I hope that their stress levels are on the bottom. But our world is stressed. Our families are stressed. Miss Denise, we had her talk about emotional wellness the other night. Done a masterful job. Never in our history has there been so many. If you go back into our kid crew ministry right now, Pastor Noel has told us, of the kids that are coming and at altar time and say, I'm afraid. We're full of fear. I'm dealing with anxiety. What they're really saying is, my little body is stressed. My mind is stressed. But Jesus said, Jesus said this, I can get you through this if you'll follow my plan. Don't be wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Let me be God. Follow me. Here's the third thing I'm about done as the worship team comes back. He said, honor the Lord with your possessions. He said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. I'm not trying to get an offering out of you. That's the first thing that happens most time when anything is brought up in church about money. Everybody thinks that preachers in the church and all is, is wanting our money. God isn't needing your money. All the money, I don't see money floating up when you put it in here. Your check doesn't float up into heaven. Those coins don't float up. They stay in a basket. We take them. We deposit them in the bank. And we use them for everything here. Well, if that's the purpose, then why is God asking me to honor him with my possessions so that I can continuously be reminded that he is my life source and my provider? In every situation, it's my great, one of my greatest forms of worship. Do you know that was a form of worship before singing ever was? You thought it's just giving. No, it's worship unto God. I honor you. I acknowledge you as God. That you're the life source. You're the provider of everything that we have need of. He said, honor me. It's an act of my obedience. It's an act of faith. God, I've got faith in you. I know you will do what you said you I know he's never failed us. Yeah, we have times that we get lean. Yeah, I do. I don't know about you. There's times that I don't have tons of money sitting in a bank. 
I, I wish I did. But I've never seen God fail me. When I have need, I just go to Him and say, Hey, God, I've got a need. You know, you said you were my source and my provider. I could give you illustration. I could give you example after example of that. So many of us trust what we got. What are you going to do when it's not there? I hope nothing happens in our land that that our economy collapses to the point that our dollars and our change and our gold and silver and everything that we've put our trust in is there. But what if? Is there enough faith? Do you have enough confidence in God that no matter what, He will see us through? I watch Him do miracles with this place week, month after month. I've asked Him to move this big debt and it still isn't moved. But yet God keeps providing every month. Even the banker said, you guys are doing what a church two or three year times the size of your church ought to be doing. We've, God is working a miracle through this house. I'm just telling you, thank the Lord. Honor God. Here's the last thing. This may be the biggest one of all. Remember, I'm in a place that I don't understand. I'm uncomfortable. I really don't like it. I'm asking all kinds of questions. I'm questioning myself. I, I got to get with Pastor Val. Pastor, tell me. He knows. I've done this with thee. With each other. Well, Pastor, what am I doing wrong? Where did I fail at? Am I not doing it right? I, I mean, we've had a lot of conversation at coffee with these questions. But then he says this. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Boy, that's one thing none of us like is the chastening. And I think that word scares us. Because we think about the scourging that our parents did. I remember a few times my dad walked in the house and we got serious when he. <laughs> Hope my pants don't fall down. <laughs> my dad would get, come here, boy. And we would have a race. I was racing to see how he had one hand and he's going like this. Mama wouldn't use a belt. She'd pull off her hat, her, her house shoe. <laughs> and for some reason, we've got this idea that that's what God does to us all the time. And every time we blow it, Every time we mess up, that's what we feel like God is doing. He's punishing me. He's not punishing. He's correcting. He's putting things back in order. My Bible said he took my punishment. Isaiah 53 said he took my punishment. I don't have to live under the guilt 
of the sins of past and think that every time I think about it, this is what God's doing because nothing is working right in my life. He's punishing me. But remember what the scripture says, son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord because those whom he loves, he corrects and he deals with us as what? Sons. I used to work out Rogers back there 24 years ago or 25 years ago when I first came I started going to the gym with Roger he hit the gym every morning he's I mean the guy's a beast and still does it and he always say I'm only doing this because I want to live long you've said that to me many many times Roger And, and you know to get as strong as he is and as solid as he is. It's not about just going in and grabbing up because I remember the first time I went in, Roger's got, you know, this massive bar set up and he does his thing and then he's going to let me do my thing and he takes all the weight off. You remember that? And the only thing he's let me deal with is with the bar. I'm thinking I can do what you do. Yeah, right. I tried the next morning. Even just with the bar, Diane had to feed me. (laughs) It wasn't quite that bad, but I tell you, my arms. (laughs) But I remember one day Roger wasn't there and I was doing setups or something. One of the trainers came in. He saw what I was doing. And he just was trying to get me to do it correctly. But I knew more than he did because after all, I'd been coming for a couple months now. He tried to correct me in just what I was doing to make what I was after come quicker and come more fluid and come better. And so many times we the people of God resist God's correction. I know it all. I've done it enough. And we resist what God is doing. But God said, I believe in this hour, if we're going to walk, I believe he's saying, I'm going to deal with you as a son. Son, don't go there. My kids, as they got older, I tell my son, I told them, All three of them, I believe. I said something like this. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You don't act like everybody else. You don't do what everybody else does. You can't. We're in a world that's pressing us hard. But maybe you're in a spot, maybe the easiest thing to do is to say, God, whatever needs to be changed, and addressed in my heart, I'm open. Make it clear so that I don't have to stay in this place. Correct me at what needs to be corrected. Adjust me where I need to be adjusted. That I can be all that you want me to be.